They say the world's going to fall apart. World War III is on mm-hmm. the horizon. What do you think about it? World War III, I don't think so. Uh, no one can afford to be in a great war right now. Uh, not even US, I think. Uh, with, there's a lot of concern with China, with, you know, uh, in different region, Russia on the Europe side. And uh, Middle East, let's not forget about Middle East, the never-ending Middle East. So I don't think any superpower uh, are actually in the driving seat to confidently go into war. So, World War III? How about you? No, it's because they always say, you know, another century, another war in Europe. In this case, we're well, just starting. <laughs> Well, there's always there's a, there's always a war, right? Like either in Europe, it's just this time it happens to be a very uh, some journalists call a civilized white people country. So, <laughs> so that's that's that. Like, I mean, you want to talk about uh, invasion? Uh, why don't you talk to uh, Georgian in 2014 when the Russian invaded the country? But we didn't have the same reaction as we have today. Uh, how about people in Yemen? It's exactly the same thing. Palestinian, so they have war every day. So uh, in terms of that, it's just a perception that being played by Western media. Of course, I mean, for somehow if it's a power other than uh, West, the West, right, like NATO or America, it's somehow an invasion. But if it's America doing any of that, it's called an intervention. So correct. No, I think there's a whole war on uh, war on the media. Basically, this war isn't just fought on the ground, like. The whole media machine is like in full swing trying to make sure that everything plays to a certain narrative. And I think that whole narrative is just demonizing Russia. But I mean, like, I mean, the writing was on the wall even back then in 2014. I remember when I was a student that uh, it was already talks about this whole thing, but no one really took it seriously. So in the end, like, people just kept quiet about it. And then, like, Crimea was a thing. And we quite, we followed that, like, a lot of my classmates, we all quite followed that. And we're like, well, what's going to happen here? You know? Ukraine is still, you know, in a way, teetering between both the West and Russia. So, I'd say really, like, to start with, this whole conflict isn't something to boil it down to, like, a good versus evil kind of narrative, because that seems to be the case nowadays uh, with anything when it comes to conflict, and it seems that they want to paint Russia in, in a bad light, not even considering, like, all kinds of security concerns that it has. Like, let's not forget, like, how many years before, like, the Soviet Union fell, you, the Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union, was part of Russia, it was part of the Russian Empire at one point, so it was always meant to be that buffer from uh, most of Western Europe coming in, and it proved to be the case for most of the time. Um, so if you want people to think that Ukraine should be NATO, then do you think that's going to concern Russia? So Ukraine's not that far from Russia itself, especially not, especially not far from Moscow. So. I mean, people should look into that a bit more. I mean, the whole geographic, geopolitical concerns that uh, Moscow and the Kremlin are having, the Kremlin is having right now. Yeah, I totally agree with all of that narrative. It's just, I think, um, like, okay, like people would, some some expert would say, like, this is not an isolated uh, case of a Russia invasion in Ukraine. It doesn't happen uh, all of a sudden. It, it has attraction, uh, like you said, uh, Crimea, or uh, I would go for, I personally would go as far as the uh, World War II because remember, NATO that we have today is remnants of World War II. And NATO purpose was, there's only one purpose for NATO, just to oppose uh, Soviet Union. Now with Soviet uh, Soviet Union uh, fallen into grace in 1991, why NATO, 
was not uh, dismembered and why is it still around today so you must ask yourself as well like uh, what nato have anything left to 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 achieve with with, with the dissolution of soviet union so of course uh, russia in today's perspective uh, uh post 1991 it's still you know possess is whether uh, you know there was like 15 or 16 uh, independent country uh, happened uh, with the fallen of soviet union but the larger the larger part of soviet union was still uh, embodied in in a country we call uh, the federation of russia today so uh whether whether we, whether we like it or not uh, from perspective of russian especially vladimir putin the existence of nato and the expansion uh, if you can just remember this two key event first uh, 1999 where countries like poland czech uh, republic all joined nato in 2008 uh, bucharest summit uh, where where um, countries like ukraine and georgia were promised to be a future member of nato this is just um, what do you call a, a, a direct threat to putin putin even said himself this is uh, something very unpleasant and unthinkable uh, what being done by the western uh, powers so uh, you know even even putin used that very word so so he's not some kind of uh, 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 playing mind games with 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 the rest of us like oh if you do this we do that uh, you know some sort of like a chess move he explicitly said what he felt of rush at least from russian perspective and then we ignore it we simply ignore it we keep uh, I, by we i mean the western powers you know not the rest of the world because i see what happened in uh, ukraine it's not russia versus ukraine it's not russia versus nato it's russia versus us because you nato is the embodiment of us the, the germany or france or europe military is just you know like uh, some uh, sidekicks to the show so the real the real puppets uh, the real uh, master behind all this uh, nato whatever because because to be honest uh, the the most budget nato get is from uh, united states and of america so uh, by the definition yes this is russia again versus yes i mean you slight point out so you can notice like this whole paranoia like it comes in terms of russian security concerns i mean remember that Uh, Putin was a former KGB official, so he was very embedded in that whole intelligence structure and whole intelligence network, which was very pervasive during the Cold War. And I think a lot of people underestimate how much paranoia the Cold War did instill onto the Soviets at the time. Like, um, I don't know if you heard about this. Like, have you heard of this one thing called Operation Able Archer? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, so, I mean, like, for people who don't know, Operation Iblache was this one um, NATO uh, exercise uh, they did annually during the Cold War. Then they had one in 1983. And that people would say that was the closest the world was to uh, nuclear warfare. And it's mostly because that whatever the Americans did, or the Western powers did, the, the, the Soviet Union knew that they were outmatched somehow, so they needed to, like, make some kind of plan for a preemptive strike. So any kind of paranoia or any kind of trigger uh, would uh, start up the Soviet leadership to enact this whole preemptive strike. They called it Operation Ryan. And Abel Archer bet every single calculation that Operation Ryan uh, had intended. So, I mean, that isn't, that's only like, what, 40 years ago? Coming to 40 years ago? That's not really a long time. And Putin was, you know, 
still aware, had to be aware of this, uh, knowing that this was a situation. Uh, and I, so I guess for Putin's side, that whole Cold War paranoia really hasn't uh, disappeared at all. Like Russia became, you know, democratic, but you see recently it's become more and more authoritarian. So it's kind of shifting back to that whole uh, standoff between uh, Russia and 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 the West. Except now it's not really ideologically driven; it's more driven out of like uh, security concerns. And so yeah, I mean, it's it's. It's still there, that cold, cold War scare, the whole Cold War paranoia. And I think, I'm not sure how it is on, on the American side, since they have shown to be quite committed to like de-escalating tensions or trying to outmaneuver in terms of economic uh, aspects with Russia, trying to still keep themselves as you know, the global superpower, the premium global superpower. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't know, like... Um, you know, the more I look at it, then you think this the more like the, at, maybe at first you'd see, oh, this is this is a horrible thing. You know, we have to get the Western powers involved. But I don't know. The more I see, the more I think that it's kind of a product of its time. Like it's been bubbling up for for the longest time, actually. So it's it's a natural course of things, to be honest. Yeah, it's definitely like I said, like what happened in two thousand. Uh, I mean, nineteen ninety nine and two thousand eight. Uh, Russia, Russia actually like okay. Uh, we we just gonna stay cool, not gonna do anything irrational. We're just gonna let you take uh, Latvia, uh, Lithuania, all this up to, uh, up and not bothering with uh, Russia. Just okay, join NATO. Go ahead. You are small countries anyway. But when they start middling with with with, with Ukraine and Georgia, this is where you know. Like the best analogy is like even Putin himself. Putin himself used this analogy. He said, "He said, uh, what, uh, how would you feel if we uh, place a station a nuclear missile in 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 Canada or Mexico, right next to American border? It's unthinkable. So uh, why would uh, why would not we can empathize with Russia, right? Like you know, because." That's exactly what they're doing, like to get all these uh, neighboring countries direct border with Russia and have their uh, military base uh, created. So, uh, you know, uh, also another thing that you mentioned just now about like how, it, you know, uh, 1991 Soviet Union, the Cold War effect, it's still because it happened in Putin's lifetime. So, of course, he, it's part of his, you know, part of his psyche. It's a, as an individual, let alone as a president of uh, Russia. So I think uh, in terms of ideology as well, right? Uh, the nationalism in, in context of Russia, it's also be, uh, be very different because what it used to be an empire. And uh, with, the, uh, with the defeat of Soviet Union, they, they had to surrender and everything. It becomes smaller as it is today. But with this, uh, what they call uh, nationalism, right? This is the uh, justification of any any president, uh, including Putin, to to do uh, what, in their point of view, is to defend themselves, right? So any action that leading towards today is just for them, in their perspective, to defend themselves. It's a self-defense uh, mechanism. It's uh, uh, you can e you can easily prove this right because. Uh, uh, you can see uh, how many in the last maybe 20, 10, 10 years, how many countries that were invaded by Russia? I would say zero, uh, including Crimea, whatever, there's a region, and Georgia. 
But uh, how about United States of America? Not in the last years. In the last 10 years, how many countries have been invaded by America? So the aggression part that been painted by Western media, uh, Russia is very um, one-sided. Yes, it's understandable. This is the war between two medias. But but we as normal citizens need to be need, need to go beyond what we've been fed on 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 our uh, TV screen or wherever social media. Don't just simply read and then oh trust certain issues like reading CNN or reading Breitbart and then <laughs> thinking it's a it's a it's a legitimate source. So yeah, again. This all back to our doing um, due diligence as a normal citizens, law-abiding citizens. Yeah, but it's really hard also if you want to look at it from, from the Russian side of things like RT, like Russian Today, I think that was, I forgot the name, so RT basically is like the whole media arm for like basically the Russian state. So they would like to say things like, uh, oh, uh, they're doing this to liberate the people of Donetsk and Luhansk to because they're being persecuted by the Ukrainian government. So like, I'm not sure which of it is true. If it really is neglected or persecuted, or really that they're funded uh, by you know, Russians to create like separatist movements over in the border area there. Uh, but you know, historically speaking, Ukraine has always been a part of the the, the Russophone, which I forgot was called the Russophone. It's basically this whole like uh, it's basically this entity that's you know cross uh, dash cross boundaries where people who speak Russian or come from like a Russian descent or something like that uh, should be, you know, somehow together, kept together. Like the whole, it's like, it's like you said, it's a whole nationalist rhetoric, nationalist idea in Ukraine does like come from that tradition as well. Like uh, for the longest times, like you cannot separate Ukraine and Russia's history over the last thousands of last thousand years. Uh, but you know, like, you're saying, you know, going back and forth between which one is the, the you know, objective news outlet for coverage of this. I think the point is that look at what it's not showing you. Uh, what is it that's uh, shown, but also what they're not showing. Like, I, I think a lot of people have uh, portrayed like the former President Zelensky as this, you know, this savior, this huge, this war hero that's willing to go on the ground to fight against, you know, these evil invaders. But I remember, I think, I read this article somewhere. It was this um, Indian news portal, right? This whole fact-checking news portal. I don't know if it's real or not. But, he says, but it shows that they reverse image searched that Twitter picture that was famous with Zelensky fighting. And they found out that it was uh, taken back in uh, 2021 when he was just having a military, he was having a visit to military troops stationed in, uh, in Donetsk and uh, Luhansk. So, uh, you can't really see like people now. They want to paint this uh, savior hero, this you know, this underdog kind of character. Uh, but you know, uh, it may not necessarily be true. And I think back in twenty sixteen or twenty seventeen, like Zelensky himself was also not a you know, a good guy in terms of moral character. Like I think he's been, I think he was associated with the Panama Papers, if I remember correctly. So. Yeah. <laughs> The whole Western, uh, you know, the Western sphere of news are trying to paint this guy as this hero just so that you can pressure people to to get involved in Ukraine or send more resources there. Uh, so it really is more, it's more of an information war than conventional warfare. And I think it's because there hasn't been like a war of this type where it's another power besides the Americans being engaged in war with like a country that's considered to be more Western friendly. It's the other way around this time. I mean, yeah, I think you were right about Zelensky because even his rise is something quite a fairy tale. 
is uh, is someone has a uh, uh, law degree and then uh, uh, proceeded to become a comedian and then uh, become very famous for it in 2017 decided to run for president election i mean it's really like uh, Fairy tale, isn't it? Like something like being created by CIA, like uh, uh, Mr. A, you gotta be like this. You just do this. We will support your fun and everything. Like how many people of uh, the world leaders that have this kind of background? All of them have to go through like immeasurable, uh, you know, uh, 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 campaign to, to, to leading up to the uh, presidential uh, uh, nomina- nomination. So again, uh, you know, we, we're not trying to. Said more uh, uh, conspiracy theory here, but these are the the things that we need to question because uh, first of all, it's not being uh, reported by mainstream media, and second of all, these are the only thing that we can trust is track record. Uh, I mean, you cannot you can you cannot change track record. What they've been said in the past, how they react on certain things, like they say one thing, but they do uh, another. So. Uh, you know, like you said, it could be it could, it, the image could be planted, could be something uh, uh, something that is not true. And there's a uh, uh, on Russian side also. There, uh, I think Facebook or Twitter they found uh, AI generated uh, uh, like a post, like a uh, like a character on 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 social media that purposely trying to demonize Ukrainian government. So when they do a background check and everything, this person does not exist because it was created by AI. So until that level, like, you know, even everything, the name, the face uh, created by AI. So these are the types of uh, war, I think, if you want to have, these are the type of war that we're going to have in World War Three instead of uh, uh, another another army shooting. Another one. Yeah. yeah, so like, I mean, when it comes to the whole, like, Back to the idea of the information wall. Uh, I mean, let's not forget, like, like, the Russians were really good at this when they had the KGB as an intelligence network. The CIA, even more so, and this is like a intelligence bureau that operates outside without much congressional oversight. So they can, they call it the deep state. So it's basically like an entity that can operate without much input or accountability or oversight from, uh, you know, the ruling government or the federal government or the administration in charge. And like, like in all, if if like the whole idea of the CIA is like they say they want to maintain uh, security for the U.S. and that seems to go at uh, great human cost. Like you remember that whole debacle of like Edward Snowden and all those leaks that he had to run away to mm. Russia. Now he's being accused of a spy. So, but I mean that tells that's telling of how deep the CIA has planted itself into uh, into a lot of um, structures, especially like. Uh, mainstream media or shaping public narrative of the West, not just like America itself, but like, you know, anything that seems to be open and aligned uh, to, uh, to, to, to the West itself. Uh, I, I won't try to get too much into that, but you know, if you, if you are interested in it, there's, there's a lot of things that uh, the CIA itself, uh, you would find quite distasteful, um, you know, like I think it was Ted Kaczynski uh, recently, he's announced that he was he had, he had cancer and then, and this guy, they, he would participate in some kind of psychology experiment back in the eighties, and uh, and then they, you know, it apparently it was a front for MKUltra, which is a which was a uh, American intelligence, uh, what's it called, uh, initiative at the time for spies and all that. So yeah, I mean, 
the idea of espionage and all this, trying to undermine authority through covert operations, it's always been there. It's just now that I think it's not as um, sensationalized as it was back in the, in the Cold War era, but it's there. And they're doing this uh, through social media. Like, have you seen the memes that come out with um, the go- that whole ghost of Kiev thing? So they, they say like, oh, there's this guy that like piloting this uh, Ukrainian big shot down four Russian warplanes in just a day. And they call him the ghost of Kiev. And like, that was used to rally people over to like this underdog fighting. Like, that's the whole narrative that's being painted, this whole underdog that's being terrorized. And then... Next thing you know, they started pumping out other kinds of uh, memes. I don't know if it's ironic or unironic, but like you have like the shark of Kiev who took down uh, two submarines single-handedly, or this one guy who shot like sixty Russian soldiers in two days. So it's like it's getting ridiculous. And some people do believe this to be the case. When you know, let's be honest, Ukrainian defense hardware and military personnel isn't as you know sophisticated as uh, as, as Russian technology. And uh, and I don't think like. Anti, I think anti-air defense systems in Ukraine are still using on like Soviet-era software. Yeah, well, if it works, why fix it, right? Uh, but uh, but uh, well, how what, would you what fix? Is... How do you fix it? It's obsolete. <laughs> well, if it's still working, like it still do its job. In my point of view, it's perfectly fine. Then. Uh, what? What, Adi? What do you think about the, the uh, repercussion towards uh, we on this part of the world, ASEAN? Uh, in within this for this conflict, uh, what would we get? Like one thing I can uh, for sure right now is the uh, palm oil uh, price is uh, is booming. So uh, that's one thing. That's good for government. What else? Uh, okay, you know how all the Western countries are like rushing to you know we got to sanction Russia. We got to take a take a hard line stance, even though sanctions have never really worked in the past. But they want to gain enough sympathy that. Everyone has to participate in sanctioning Russia. So it's kind I, I can predict that there's going to be this whole us versus them kind of mentality. Like recently, I think it was an FMT today that they had to turn to, they had to turn back a Russian oil tanker from docking uh, in Malaysia. So they were already drawing they were kind of already drawing the lines there. And I think for Malaysia, there's a lot of uh, justified cause as well to be against Russia because uh, people still remember the whole MH17 uh, debacle, the whole you know, plane crash, the tragedy there. And a lot of people, I think the general consensus was that it wasn't shot down by the Ukrainians or the Russians, but it was shot down by Russian by Russian separatists in the Donbass region, who you know conveniently are supported by the Russian by the Russian government. So you know, guilty by association. So a lot of Malaysians aren't too happy with going going to be too happy about that, but. In terms of like uh, economic, uh, from an economic standpoint, I don't think uh, it will affect too much in terms of like uh, conventional economic trade. But I know that Malaysia, we are quite dependent on uh, Russian military hardware, like when it comes to jets, uh, fighters, and all that. So, Sukhoi. So, what are we going to start turning to American or British uh, aviation contractors to supply? To, to get our to amplify our air force or our military's uh, military's capac- capacities, so you know, defense contractors overseas might see that as an opportunity, and you know, it's so far turned to uh, Western contractors. I think Indonesia is going in that kind of direction already. They kind of stop uh, contracting from uh, from Russia already, and they're moving on to I think it was uh, American, uh, France, yeah, France. So yeah, in our part of the world, 
in terms of but it depends really on where does china fall on this whole game between russia and the us so but china so far i think i think they're still trying to make up for that disgrace during the winter olympics <laughs> yeah i think um china as much as it's very uh, what we call a bff to russia i think it's China is in an awkward position here because it's not in the interest of China for this uh, uh, for this war to to uh, to unfold because because there's a lot of uh, uh, at stake here because uh, a lot of this this investment to to make a broad, uh, revival built and uh, initiative and built initiative uh, at stake because uh, these investments in uh, Ukraine and whatever will be uh, you know so called uh, undone. So that's not good for China when they want to focus on this. Uh, and uh, as much as we think China would uh, would uh, unrationally just be on the side of Russia, even though because you know uh, because they're against U.S. and U.S. is the enemy, my enemy to my enemy is my friend. But I think China is very reasonable here. They are very uh, um, what we call the money oriented, if I may use that, even though. It's, describing a communist uh, uh, government here but uh, it's it's true to today that uh, China uh, abstain from you know uh, making any making any uh, condemn to Russia or of course US but uh, I think this is the, they just wanna uh, not gonna uh, what we call uh, participate in this uh, fiasco but also uh, I think there will be opportunities in this. Uh, they they will be lurking on whatever opportunity that we have because of the uh, trade that now being uh, uh, slowed down for for Russia, right? So uh, like uh, for the gas and everything, like uh, Germany is the largest the largest uh, exporter importer of of Russia gas. So that's that the Nord Stream uh, two pipeline is already uh, uh, happening. So this many things at stake here and these countries uh, even germany germany the you know uh, the, the 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 newest chancellor was very reluctant on banning russia on the swift network banking system uh, because uh, i think germany wants to act like a, uh, a good cop and us being the bad cop in this uh, whole western alliance they they want to control the temple of united states uh, and the rest in UK with you know from from holding on like this like uh, lunging on Russia for Russia for that uh, kind of wretched so so yeah they these are the few uh, I think uh, superpowers that try to play a different role so I think uh, in that part of so China will I think I'm I'm I'm, I'm waiting what what are their you know uh, perspective here what are they looking at how are they going to benefit from this. Because I'm sure, in the end of the day, they will. That's definitely. Yeah, but at the end of the day, it's always going to be quite concerning. I think the main concern is for people is like, how one is like how this uh, shape the status quo of like the whole uh, global order of things, and the second is like mostly concerns for like Ukrainian citizens or their livelihoods. I mean, uh, an invasion is already bad enough, but to be invaded by a country that used to hold sway over you for like hundreds of years, a country that was, uh, you know, that did instate serfdom, then moved on to the whole gulag state. And I mean, it's, 
the the you know I would mention there's a lot of bad blood between the uh, Ukrainians and the Russians in terms of like historical uh, context and like I think Ukraine at one point was the pale of settlement which was this whole uh, demarcation area like I think it was Catherine the Great at the time who's Empress of Russia said that oh okay uh, because there's so many Jews from Poland that we invaded back then they're still allowed to live in these kinds of areas, which is called the Pale of Settlement. And apparently Ukraine was the, I think the largest swaths of area was open for Ukraine for Jews to be settled there. So and in the end, uh, Jews were heavily persecuted, uh, even by like the Russians, like if you think the Nazis were bad. Also, I think the whole Soviet, I think the whole of Soviet state was also in, in involved in that kind of endeavor as well. But Nonetheless, I mean, a lot of bad blood, I would say, between uh, Ukraine and Russia. Uh, how would it fare um, if Kiev was to fall and Russia installs its own uh, puppet government or completely annexes it? Uh, I wonder how will the civil unrest be and how much that unrest will affect uh, into a spillover? Because we've seen that, you know, conflicts in Syria, Palestine has already forced you know, people to... Uh, migrate already uh, to Europe. Now imagine this new wave of refugees coming into uh, Central and Western Europe. Uh, do you think they can handle that? I know Sweden uh, was quite concerned about that and so is the UK. They're quite concerned about these new wave of refugees that are coming as if they already know that this is going to happen. So does that also mark the fact that they know they can't really do anything physically so they just have to you know, put a band-aid over a gunshot wound, like a 50 caliber gunshot wound. So it's almost like it's calculated in a way. It's, it's certainly uh, in like the calculations when it comes to moving forward in the midst of this whole uh, situation. Yeah, you, you mentioned about uh, bad blood and all that. I mean, that's why Mikhail Gorbachev, in, I think, uh, in which I don't remember, gave Crimea to Ukraine as a good gesture. So that's uh, Crimea that uh, part of Russia, the next one Russia today is, was, was actually part of Russia back then. But then was given by the president to 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 Ukraine. So that's uh, to symbolize the 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 uh, the, the sorriness by Russia. Uh, uh, I mean, Soviet Union back then, it's not Russia. Soviet Union back then. So that's one thing. And you're talking about uh, how Sweden worried about immigration. Poland, Poland is have uh, been fighting with this because, uh, as we know, the loyal fans of Russia, uh, Belarus was uh, threatening threatening uh, the whole europe with a, uh, with this refugee uh, refugee flooding uh, the whole europe as they you know they what's the word to call uh, word to use uh, like a promoting refugee in the middle east to go through belarus to go to europe because all, most of these refugees they want to go to germany and to go to uh, germany you have to go through poland so these are the gateways to go to to Germany, and Germany is one of the um, uh, uh, one of the uh, 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 highest number of refugees taken by a single country in in Europe. So as you can see, these are whole uh, polemic that being developed uh, for a few years. Of, I think for the last five or ten years, it's not a single incident that happened. And then uh, uh, what's this? Uh, uh, Ukraine in the Donbas area, right? Like uh, you said, it was uh, funded by Russian. And also, uh, you, we have on the 
Western side, there's also uh, in neighboring country to Moldova, also Russian-funded uh, separatists in that very tiny, slim region. So, so, but what I don't understand, the why, why now for Putin is that uh, just to to prevent Ukraine from joining NATO is just to maintain this uh, unrest within uh, internal unrest right, in Donbas area because. Uh, one of the requirements to join NATO is you, the country must not have uh, internal unrest. Otherwise, they are not uh, allowed to join NATO. So I, why don't just Putin uh, maintain this unrest? Just keep funding them. Just keep making uh, a few masks here and there occasionally. Because I don't, I don't see the timing of Putin doing this now. So that's, I think, the bigger question that we need to ask. Like, why now? Because we we know why he did it. We know uh, we know why uh, what would be expected of it. But why now? Because he has an alternative. And uh, if any of you out there thinking that uh, Putin very much uh, like to to start this war, it's not. It's not in the for the interest because uh, first of all it's very expensive to do this war they don't have the money to do it we just came out of pandemic i'm not so sure how well russia get out of pandemic so that's not the question for him to understand for, for him to answer so it's no it's no one's interest to do this now uh, but but why now despite all of this it's mind-boggling for me i mean well uh, i remember the whole nato thing I don't know who made this argument, but I saw it somewhere. It was like, oh, Ukraine wasn't even supposed to um, join NATO. It was just like a casual statement that was thrown around and somehow it got into like uh, Russian uh, intelligence saying that, oh, Ukraine's joining NATO. We got to do something about this. So it was more like a false flag that was planted to spur Russia into action. But it goes back to that whole security concern. You know, if Ukraine joined NATO, that means that NATO is free to put missiles in, in Ukraine. And Ukraine isn't that far from Moscow, geographically speaking. So it's like within striking distance. And I don't think uh, NATO has ever been this close to putting military hardware this close to Russia than it did before. I think, I mean, Russia, the Soviet Union tried that with, uh, the Cube, with the Cubans and that already started a whole uproar. So in a way, this is kind of like the opposite. So it's... And then you have um, Russian media, Russian state-controlled media, which does peddle this whole nationalist rhetoric, like, oh, look, the Western demons have come to uh, threaten our livelihoods. And this is like normal news for the Russian people, where it is heavily uh, influenced by propaganda, where it seems like uh, the West is always out to get Russia, and that the only way to stop them is to resist and to fight back and you know claim what is what is theirs, you know, that lost history that they had, that proud uh, nationalist uh, spirit that they once had. So, and so that's why you can say, like, also, it's what the people would want. I think a lot of Russian people did expect for this to happen. They, they kind of wanted this to happen because there's just so much animosity between uh, Russia and the West and not just Russia and the West, but Russia and the separatist-controlled areas uh, which a lot of Russians sympathize with because they've been told that, oh, these people are neglected. These people are more Russian than Ukrainian. So they should belong to us. They should have their own ability to manifest their own uh, national spirit or um, ideas of self-determination. That's why they came up with this whole idea of uh, Nova Russia, New Russia. So 
that was being that's being peddled a lot to the Russian uh, public, and that you know, ferments the idea. That, okay, now Putin has public support to go to war. Okay, maybe it now is the time to you know, kind of bolster that kind of support domestically as well to show that you know, Putin is in charge here, because he he's been doing this for a long time. He's been trying to curb dissenters like. For the longest time, he's a very he's very authoritarian. He's an autocrat. He suppresses like su- basic civil rights. Like I think during the whole um, Ukrainian uh, revolution, revolution of dignity, back thing was 2013, 2014, right? That being able to oust a government and put it in the democratically elected government, I think that also worries Putin. That kind of democratic wave would sweep into Russia and threaten him as well. Like I think. During that time, I think it was 2015, I think 2016, like, it did happen. Uh, 2014, like we've hold that whole uh, pussy riot kind of uh, protest. So it, Maidan, for, Maidan. Yeah, no, I'm mean, talking the one in Russia that followed oh. after Maidan. After Maidan, there was like this whole uh, protest in uh, Russia. It was organized by Pussy Riot. And Putin was quick to clamp down hard on that. And then that just reinvigorated like this whole anti LGBT uh, crackdown uh, in Russia. So very authoritarian and if he sees these kinds of trends in Ukraine right who's to say that he has is threatened in Russia and you know Lukashenko himself in Belarus is also becoming more and more unpopular with the people like protests are happening uh, quite often there now if uh, Belarus falls that's the last ally Russia would have in the region so there you go yeah so I mean yeah I mean these are the things that uh, also being played by Western side like how uh, we talk about uh, this uh, uh, separatists in Donbas area, whatnot, and uh, on NATO side, they relentlessly trying to get Ukraine, even though, uh, even though uh, you, uh, Russia already says that don't do this, right? Like, don't do this; it will uh, jeopardize this stability in the region. Let Ukraine be a buffer state, as simple as that. I don't think it's a very unusual request for from Russia to say that because uh, this is right at their door. Right? This is a direct neighbor. So to have that request, it's understandable and very logical, reasonable, perfectly. But uh, why NATO keep doing that? Like they just try to expand uh, Ukraine. Okay, you can say that, oh, uh, it was uh, by the people, people wants to join NATO. But like as, like we said, like what happened in 2014, like my, uh, my dad when the uh the previous uh uh president of ukraine says no to joining eu and then the people uh they create a riot and then people uh, why we never say oh this riot being funded by america right so it's just very simple but if, if it happens the other way around uh, we will say oh these are funded by definitely funded by the bad guys the russian guys so so it's the same thing like to overthrow uh, uh, uh by a coup of a uh, uh, democratically uh, elected president is is whether the, the perpetrator was Russia or US is equally the same wrong thing. So uh, you know it's 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 very very interesting how these events unfold itself and then uh, people try to uh, close one eye over it and then uh, uh, draw a conclusion. Just I think if Ukraine wrong. joined the EU, it would be less. Scary for Russia. I mean, joining EU, I think, is more harmless than joining NATO. So yeah. that's uh, why not the EU, right? Why does it have to be NATO? Unless yeah, that is so, a false flag p- planted by the Russians has just caused the war. 
exactly. So <laughs> it's a it's a mind games uh, as much as it is a media or whatever games that one call it. Yeah, but I think so far we're quite leading it to understanding Russia's insecurities than mm. uh, really taking the other side. But I mean, it's hard to as well. Like uh, President Biden in the US shown himself to be quite. I mean, I'm I'm sad to say like his leadership when it comes to like aggression or anything like that hasn't been stellar you know, with Afghanistan being quite a recent blunder. And we, did you hear his uh, I think statement of the union guy? Yeah, like uh, he he made he says that you know we are going to protect the people of Iran and not Ukraine. So I mean, is this guy really um, mentally sound to be leading America into another conflict to navigate America through this uh, very tricky situation? Well, he is the oldest president that ever sit in office. So <laughs> let's give him that. Like cut him some slack. <laughs> He's yeah, the oldest. I mean, so yeah. I mean uh, it's, it's not Obama. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very awkward situation to be honest to be the president of the United States right now. Yeah. I guess yeah, I guess America kind of brought it on Ukraine itself as well. I mean, they had so many years to help fund Ukraine to shore up their defenses uh, for the longest time. I mean, the writing was on the wall since 2014, but not much aid was given to bolster uh, Ukrainian defense forces in the event that something like this happened, and it did happen, is that they spent more money in, uh, in the Middle East when really that's kind of having to resolve itself already. I think that's uh, being answered by the president. I think it was one of the top leaders of the United States, uh, if not the president back then. I think, was it Obama? They, they, they say um, uh, Ukraine is not a vital strategic uh, a, a, a state or a question. So for them to defend, this is not top priority. Like Biden reiterated himself the other day, like United States will not send troops to Ukraine. So this is what they uh, they've been very clear about this. So they will not defend. But at the same time, they use Ukraine to uh, some sort of leverage in terms of using NATO and whatnot. You know, we have the military base or whatever. But for Russia, this is uh, do or die. This is their direct neighbor. They cannot let uh, America toy with uh, Ukraine anymore. This is this is this is a direct threat. We must uh, be firm with this threat. That's it. But for America, there's like what, fifteen thousand miles away. So for them, it's just like, hey, let's try something. We can do. Let's try with NATO. Let's try with EU. Let's try with whatever. And then let's see what's go through. So I think that's their approach here. That's why they're being very like you know, uh, passive aggressive in terms of this whole thing. I agree completely. I mean, it's harder to relate yourself to the situation when you're thousands of miles away. But for Russia, it's only 800 miles away. It's a reality yeah, yeah. and insecurity they cannot ignore completely. So, right. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to defend like Russia's actions here, but it's understandable why a country like that or why would Putin uh, act in a certain way that he does. I mean, given his history, given uh, all these security problems that, uh, that Russia has had for like, uh, the past, you know, past few decades since it became the federation, like I think in the Caucasus also they still haven't been able to resolve like that whole issue of the Chechens and all that. So you know, Russia having to deal with all kinds of like frontiers to manage. Like they have the European frontier, they have the one, the Caucasus, and then who knows? Maybe uh, they did have an issue in like Central Asia when they had to assist Kazakhstan when they were having that whole riot going on. Uh, I think it was early in the year. So so yeah, I mean, uh, Russia is. Because it's so huge, you know, it has the benefit of you know, uh, sheer mass, but at the same time, 
there's a lot of uh, theaters that it has to operate in to make sure that its interests are, are secured and safe. Um, so maybe that's the case also. And this just came to mind, like, do you think maybe also, like, by having Ukraine, like, with cities like uh, Odessa, which is uh, close to the whole uh, Black Sea, Black Sea, or is it, uh, it gives you a straight uh, port down to the Bosphorus and into the Mediterranean. So, mm. you know, that's what Russia has been, I think this has been something that Russia has been fighting for for like 200, 300 years already. Like, they've always wanted a warm seaport to be able to project its uh, maritime and commercial activities. Because, like, like uh, you only have like uh, ports in the Baltics, and some of them freeze over during the winter, so it's hard to ship things in and out. So maybe by having Ukraine, it helps bolster their uh, their ability to trade, uh, if you, naval power, also project naval power, and also trade and have access to more valuable sea routes. I think that was what their interests claimed to be when they in, when they also found themselves putting their uh, putting their hand into Syria as well. Yeah, that's completely true. I mean, I mean, this is one of I think one of the uh, few reasons that why why uh, Putin would, uh, would do such a thing because um, as much as uh, uh, by landmass Russia is very huge, but in terms of the uh, 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 shore, it's not very, very big. But to mention the Odessa and that Black Sea area, right? Like even to utilize it as a free port, uh, Russia still has. Uh, rely on Turkey mercies because these are, you know, you, you need to get yeah. through Greece, yeah. Greece and Turkey, right? Yeah. So and not right now being guarded by Turkey and just just today, Turkey was uh, denying uh, yeah yeah the access to the to the, the partnership. So that there there you go. But we should not uh, also uh, forget the enclave of uh, of Russia, uh, Kalin- Kaliningrad, is it? The the one that next to uh, uh, the one next next to Lithuania. So that's another warm pot that they, they have. So that's why Belarus as a geopolitics is very very important to be you know uh, extension of uh, Russia. Uh, so so it could could connect uh, physically to that. So uh, we 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 point out that uh, as uh, uh, interest point. But another thing is, 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 I think it's also because of energy, because whatever being found in, in, in the Black Sea, in Crimea area, or even in Ukraine mainland area. So this is potentially what they, I, I, I mentioned earlier on that uh, how this war will be expensive, but of course, there will always be a reward of the war, right? So there's always going to be uh, a, a territory that you can take uh, over. So potentially in the in the in the in the in the region Black Sea. That's why also if you just this is interconnected with Greece and Turkey conflict. Why are they fighting over this uh, EEZ territory claim, right? Because of the discovery, uh, whatever barrel of uh, crude oil there. Uh, lying rest in deep in the uh, sea. So these are all interacted together. The the, the the energy, the importance of having warm port, and then of course uh, NATO expansion. So uh, I, I I don't think anyone can pinpoint uh, what exactly happening, but uh, I think these are the combination of what happened. Yeah, I, agree. I mean it's not as simple as you know Putin's a crazy no. uh, dictator or some Correct. crazy Hitler incarnate. No, it's a lot of issues intermingling together most of it is strategic in nature and you know you could sprinkle a bit of historical uh you know historical grievances but, in there as well 
I mean, of course, yeah, Turkey but... would give it to Russia because how many times in, uh, the Russian Empire invaded the Ottomans and kept destroying them back to back? So yeah, correct. But but Turkey is no more Ottoman. Like yeah, their yeah. daddy can put up a fight with Greece <laughs> now. So. <laughs> so so that's that. But I would say all these three points, right, Adi? These are you can you can wrap uh, you can brand it as uh, 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 Russia's interest. So right, like we we always mention American interests, some American interests, American. These are very the very own of uh, Russia's interests, mm-hmm. and in that sense, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be on uh, Putin or Russia's side here, but uh, speaking as a if you're Russian, if you put your shoes in them, oh, yeah, makes sense a lot to secure the energy, to secure the port, to secure uh, your border as a uh, Ukraine as a buffer, buffer zone. These are not just uh, uh, Russian interests, but security interests mm-hmm. in so yeah. many ways. So yeah. why would you want to jeopardize them? Yeah, exactly. Um, I think on the final note, I mean, consider this. I mean, Russia is so massive, so vast, like biggest country in the world. Of course, you're going to need something to feed the machine constantly, right? So mm-hmm. it's a simple case of like the resource uh, machine, basically. It's sapping away. It needs to find a way to renew itself. To handle such a huge structure on a huge scale, uh, especially when you come to Russia. So, I think the final point should be that I mean, like like uh, you said, Russian interests is something that's uh, deeply embedded in economic interests, security interests, strategic interests, and historical interests as well. So, I think you cannot uh, brain brand you know reduce the issue to something so simple. Uh, I mean, if you think about it, it's like only what like to. It's like only 80 years ago the world was tearing itself apart, right? And that's not really a long time ago in the in the confines of human history. So, if yeah, you have I a grandma, it is in her lifetime. So yeah. So in a way, it's like we're still trying to figure out how to work together, how to live together. Like this whole system of like states working, nations working together, trying to find amicable solutions to very complex things is still very new. And you know, like I said. If they couldn't figure it out 80 years ago, right? How is it that, you know, can we figure it out 80 years later? Or will it take another 80 years? And we're still going to be in the same situation. Like, this boils down to, like, the whole system that we're in, the whole global system that we're in is still very new, and we still don't know what to do with it. We still don't know how to progress uh, further as a, as a collective in that kind of regard. So living together, sharing things together, uh, trying to distribute things equally together and make sure everyone is okay, that's... If you can't solve that issue, then uh, I think you know, in terms of conflict, it's never really going to go away. There's a conflict every year, there's a conflict every month, there's a conflict every week. It's just that we tend to focus on conflicts that mix headlines. Yeah, as a, as a, like if we want to compare with our country, right? Like, uh, we see uh, Russian would see Putin as someone who defended their national interest. But how about our prime minister? Who? Uh, what is the response to the recent uh, court in uh, Spain? Where they they ordered Malaysia to pay, uh, I think what sixty billion US dollar to the Sulu to, 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 to the Sultan, Sultan. To, to the Sultan Sultanate of Sulu. So that's that. Like we haven't uh, heard uh, anything from Wisma Putra, right? Mm-hmm. Not yet. Yeah, so like that. Our issues also just as complicated as theirs. So we yeah. haven't figured out, figured it out yet. How do we expect other countries like the West or Russia to do so? Just because they're exactly. you know, advanced, or just because they're uh, you know. Uh, superpowers, uh, no, not necessarily. Superpowers are still made out of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but these are great people with long history. 
you know so that's that's that very complicated very messy as complicated as uh sabah and sudu uh, uh yeah. conflict this yeah. is far 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 greater yeah it's no comparison yeah yeah i think uh that's a very good uh, take we have today uh yeah maybe we can do uh, another continuity from this because uh as of uh, recording uh the war is not ended yet so there will be more development of course in the future hey we can mm-hmm. do again uh, on the weekend or something yeah definitely as the thing progresses we'll see what else can be developed from here i mean mm-hmm. obviously we hope that everything gets resolved quickly and uh, mm-hmm. amicably and you know hopefully the world can continue to rebuild from there but yeah Yeah, uh, having said all what we said today, I mean, still uh, prayers to uh, condolences and prayers to those who uh, lost their lives in in U- especially in the Ukraine part, uh, of course, on the Russian part as well. Uh, uh, you know, it's a terrible thing that happened, but uh, like we mentioned just now, you know, it's something that unavoidable in 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 many many ways. All right, so okay. I think that's it, this. That's it for there. this time. Uh, one hour, exactly one hour. Oh, yeah. That's very interesting. Uh, so, so yeah, for those watching, if you like this type of format where video just talk about like this and you can just comment uh, down below, uh, let us know. So if you're watching this after the uh, live session, also please comment down below if you like this kind of content from us or you just want to stick with uh, on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So anything thank from you, Eddie? I think just like from right. DM Council, thank you for listening. Um, glad to actually be back here again. Even though it's a thank you so format. much. Oh. Yep. Thank you, Munir Muhammad. Thanks, guys, for your yeah, Thank you very much for tuning in. I think see you guys in the uh, different episode. All right. All right. All right. See you Take guys, care. bro. Okay.